You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about rotations and really how to make your rotations a bit more efficient. Now, I've done an episode on this already a few years ago, so that was part one. And this is going to be part two where we're going to add a couple more things into your toolkit in terms of what to think about when you're planning your rotations, you know, how to structure it, how to make it more efficient. Uh, we're going to dive in on today's episode. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 190 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball in the books. Uh, What's going on, everyone? My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. And to my regular listeners, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode where the goal is just like every other episode, is to deliver valuable, tangible, step-by-step strategy that can, you know, hopefully you can apply to your gym and get your team to be that much better. And today's episode, we're going to talk about rotation. Um, I've done episodes in the past on rotation, so in case you want to get caught up on some of the episodes, um, this is this is a part two. So I had a I did a part one on May second of twenty twenty two. So about a year and a half ago, and it's titled How to Make Your Rotations More Efficient. So just if you have Spotify, you could look that up. And I did another episode on rotation uh, back, wait, when was this, October, where I talked about matchups, and uh, this is more like I, rotation was part of the episode uh, where there was like matchups and rotation. How can you match up your rotation according to certain things that happen in a game? And then in 2021, I talked about how to structure your rotation. So that's where I talked about, this was like the basic episode, organizing players, rules, hitting lanes, how many pastors do you use, going over the different types of rotations. So the 5-1, the 6-2, the 4-2, and a couple other things. So if you are a beginner coach, you'd probably want to start with that episode, how to structure your rotation. That's teaching it from the ground up. And then after you finish that one and you want to continue learning about more rotation, Look up how to make your rotation more efficient, and you're going to have the part one, and this is going to be the part two to that, okay? So just a quick recap of the part one, because we, we, we talked about a lot of important things. In the part one, I talked about the three most common rotations that I see coaches struggle with, and that is rotation four, five, and six. And I probably should explain what that means by rotation four, five, and six. That is the way that I describe it, and I think this is the, the international system, is wherever the setter is, that is what we call the rotation. So, for example, if the setter is in rotation six, or rather, if the setter is in position six, we call that rotation six. If the setter is in position four, we call that rotation four. So, when you listen to that, you're going to see that the like those are the most common rotations I see coaches struggle with and you'll learn how to maximize those rotations so that your setter doesn't have to run a marathon 
to get to their setting location and and things like that. So listen to that. Um, but some some a couple of things that to think about when you're setting up your rotation, and this this is going back to the other one as well is, remember, when you're setting up your rotation, the the reason why rotation is important is because you want the the path of least resistance for your setter. So your setter has to get to their setting location with as little obstacles as possible. Okay, you don't want your setter in the passing zone. So that's like that's like probably point number one. Okay, you do not want your setter in the passing lane, passing zone, whatever you want to call it. And that means that they should never be in the way of the serve. Okay, so if you have if you have for whatever reason a player backing up to protect your setter. To, to be able to pass the ball. You better make sure that the setter has a clear path to their setting location. And the only position you can really do that is when the setter is in one. Because then the setter is pretty close to their two and a half zone, like in between position two and three. And that, that's it. If you're having your setter or players backing up to protect the setter when the setter is in six or, or five, I, I would I would tread very carefully because now the setter is far away from a good setting location and they're not going to be optimal and they're not going to be in an optimal position to set the ball. So keep those things in mind, okay? Another thing to keep in mind is you you want so when you're when you're doing your rotation, okay? And I I, I teach three passers, maybe four, but I generally teach three passers even at the younger age group. And the, and the reason for that is, you know, I always get, well, three passers can't cover the entire court. And in some cases, you might be right. It's very hard. But when you put more passers in the passing lanes, there's a lot more confusion that happens. There's a lot more seams to cover. There's a lot more communication that has to happen. And when there's three passers, the reads are a lot easier. Like the passers can make the reads much more efficiently there's like, there's like, you know, when you say there's more cooks in the kitchen, you know, it's not good. Oh well, yeah. It's the same thing. There's more, if you have five players passing a ball that that's more recipe for disaster and you have three players, they understand their seams. They can read better. They can go to the ball and they can be, they can make a better pass. Okay. And I've experimented, you know, I've been coaching this game for not as long as some of you, but 17 years is, is a quite a long time. And I've experimented with two passers. I've experimented with three passers, with four passers. And I can say with 100% certainty that four passers was the worst out of three passers and two passers. I would rather go two than four. And the only reason we went two is because we had, you know, we had two passers that were by far better than everybody else. And it was, it was more advantageous to have just those two passers pass than have two of them and then a weaker passer come in and screw up the passing lane, you know? So... That's that's one thing to consider, and then the other thing um, is when you're having your three passers, is you want to have your left sides and your libero be those three passers. You don't really want your right side in there, and you may have heard me say this a million times on the pod, and I apologize again if this is the million time you've heard it, but your left sides are supposed to be your best passing and attacking combos. So. When if you have your best passers and attackers that are your left sides, then they're the ones you want passing the ball, and then you have your libero, which is your your specialist. Now you could have a right side, but then what's the point of having a libero because then you'd have four passers. So your opposite, your right side, they're your banger. They're the ones that put the ball away. They score, 
You don't really want them passing. You want them to focus on scoring, okay? And then the last thing from the last episode, this is just kind of like a recap, is <clears throat> when you're setting up your your players, okay? Now, the general rule of thumb is the positions are opposite of each other. So wherever your setter starts on the floor, the right side or the opposite is exactly across from the setter. So for example, if your setter is in position two, okay, then your right side or your opposite is in position five, exactly opposite. If your setter is in position three, then what's the opposite position of position three? Position six, and that's where your right side is, okay? If your middle is in position three, then your other middle is going to be in position six or your libero in that case. So everybody's opposite of each other, okay? I hope, I hope, I hope that make, that's making sense. And same with left sides. If your left side, your, your power hitter, whatever you want to call them, if they're in position four, for argument's sake, then your other left side, your other power, will be in position one, exactly opposite of each other. Now, with respect to where they start, okay, I call it your IDP, your initial defensive position. You want to be very careful with this. And I've seen a lot of coaches make the mistake of having the middle be to the left of the setter. So here is a typical example that I've seen happen a lot. Is let's say that your setter is in position two, okay? So imagine that, okay, if you don't close your eyes if you're driving. But imagine that your setter is in position two. What I've seen coaches do is have your setter in position two, followed by the middle in position three, followed by the left side in position four. <clears throat> so if I'm going left to right here, we have our left side, our middle, and our setter. And that's what they do. And then on the back in the back court, it's the exact opposite. Starting from the left side, you're gonna have your opposite then your middle, and then your left side. Now, the reason that this is not optimal is because you're going to have a rotation, and this is going to be rotation six. When the setter is in position six, you are going to have a situation where you don't have a front court left side attacker, meaning you're not going to have a left side swing. You're not going to have an attacker swinging out of the left side, and that's a problem. Now, I know there are some coaches that are going to say, well, we can stack, we can move players around, and you, you absolutely can. You can. But you're going to have a situation, again, where what, what's going to happen is your right side attacker is going to be swinging from the left side in two out of three rotations. Now, you don't want your right side attacker swinging out of the left side and your power attacker swinging out of the right side for two rotations. You don't want that. Or why have a left side or have a right side? So this rotation is not optimal. You want to have you want to have your if your setter is in position 2, let's go there. If your setter is in position 2, beside your setter, you want to have your power hitter, your left side attacker, and then beside your left side you want to have your middle. Okay? So from left to right, you're going to have your middle, your left side, and your setter. And that way, when you go around and you have all six rotations, you're going to find that there is never a scenario where you're, you don't have a front court left side swinging out of position four. There's never that situation, okay? Now, there is one rotation 
which is when the setter is in position two, or sorry, when the setter is in position one, there is that one rotation where the power hitter, the left side, is going to swing out of right side. But that's the only rotation that that happens. If you had it in the other one, you'd have your power attacker swinging out of right side twice and your right side attacker swinging out of left side twice. And again, that, that's counterproductive. It goes against why you made them a left side to begin with. Okay, so take my advice. And if you want to do the, if you want to do it, you can break it down. You can draw out all six rotations when it's middle, left side, setter, and then draw all six rotations when it's power, middle, setter. And you're going to see the difference. And you're going to see the, the, the I guess, if you look at it, you'll see the, the gaps and the, the faults in certain rotations versus others. You'll see it. It's as clear as, clear as butter. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Butter's not clear. Clear as water. I don't know. You get what I'm saying. Okay. So let's talk about a, a couple other things. And, and this was um, something that I actually was talking to our women's coach about just last week. And this concept of P1, P2, M1, M2, and things like that, okay? So when we communicate positions, M1, M2, so we all understand that there's two middles and there's two left sides, okay, on the floor. And there's one opposite and one setter. So how do you communicate who's your M1, your one middle and your M2, your other middle, or your P1, your one power, and your P2, the other power? What does that mean, okay? So to make things simple, your P1 and your M1 are the players that are beside the setter, okay? Your P1 and your M1 are the players that are beside the setter, all right? Your M2 and your P2 are the other players that are not beside your setter when you start off your rotation. So for example, if I was going, yeah, let's say for example, my setter is in position two, okay, then my and I'm doing the right rotation like I described, my P1 is right beside the setter, okay? So my setter is in position two, my P1 is in position three, and my M1 is in position one. That's how it'd be right now, okay? Now, people get confused, me, myself included, and sometimes I still, I still say it this way because it's just, it just makes sense in my head that whoever my starting front court players are, that's my M1 and my P1. And I know I've prob- I probably, I probably, I actually, believe it or not, I describe it this way to my coaching staff and my teammates, and my team rather. I, in my mind, in my mind, the M1 and the P1 are the players that start front row. That's just how we, that's how we have it. But in reality, if you follow the universal system and, I'm te- and I'm, my podcast is about education and this is how it is, it's not my M1, it's my M2. My M2 is starting in the front court because my M1 is beside the setter. So when my setter is in position two, my M1 is in one and my P1 is in three. Okay? That's just the way it is. I don't know. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. I guess it's for I guess it's to explain things a little bit better. So now here's a mistake I see common coaches make, okay? Is they want their best attackers, right? Like your P1 is your best left side and your M1 is your best middle. That's just, you know, and that's just how people describe it. Or 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 your your best middle is going to start front row and your best left side is going to start front row. And then you have your setter in rotation too. Well, that's not how it actually works. And the reason for that, and I hope I'm not confusing you, 
But the reason why you don't want your M, your best attack, your best middle starting in position four and your best left side starting in position three is because you're going to have two rotations where you're going to struggle. So let me let me just go through and explain what what I, I guess what I'm talking about here. So when you go through your rotation, okay, you want to have your best attacker. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use um, rotation two as an example here, okay? So rotation two, that means the setter is in position two, the left side is in position three, and your middle is in position four, okay? So from left to right, we have middle, power, setter. All right, now here's what happens. You want your best attacker to be beside the setter, okay? But you also want your best middle to be beside the setter. And the reason for that is because if you have your best middle beside the setter, then when the setter gets to front row, the setter, remember the setter's front row, so there's three rotations where the setter's front row. And in those three rotations, you want to make sure you always have your best attacker out of the left side and your best middle with your setter in three in those three rotations because you don't have a front court right side. And this is assuming you're not running a 6-2 and you're running a 5-1. 5-1 is the most popular rotation system, serve receive system in the world. So this is important to know because if you put your best middle and starting in position four, and you put your best left side starting in position three, and then your setter is right there. When your setter goes around and your setter enters and your setter's front row, you're gonna have your weaker middle in the front row for two rotations without a front court right side. And you're gonna jam yourself. And that's where teams, when the setter is in the front row, this is where teams lose attackers because they don't have a front court right side. So when your setter is in front row, you want to make sure that either your best middle or your best left side is with them. And you never want to have a situation where the setter's front row and your weaker left side and your weaker middle is on a rotation with them. And you want to make sure that your weaker middle, okay, your weaker middle, is not with the setter by themselves for two rotations. That would suck. You don't want that. So make sure that when you are setting up your lineup, your best left side is beside the setter and your best middle is beside your setter. And when you do that, when you go around all six rotations, what's going to happen is you're going to find that when the setter's front row, that better middle is going to be with the setter for two rotations. And your best left side is going to be with the setter for one rotation. So when the setter's back row now, and you have three attackers that are in the front row, majority of those sets are going to be with your weaker middle. So a lot of the offense is not strained on that weaker middle. The offense is going to be able to spread to a left side, a, a middle, and a right side. So the weaker middle won't be able to be exploited as much as when they're on that line. And that's why you want to have your best middle with your setter. So when your setter's front row and the setter has limited setting options in terms of no front court right side, now they have your best middle and they have potentially your P2, but then but then they'll have another rotation where they have your your uh your your P1 as well. 
And that's, that's the key. Okay. That's the key is that way you can maximize your rotations. And I see it all the time. I see coaches, myself included, by the way, for a long time, I would have my best middle starting in position four and my best left side starting in position three and then my setter. And what would happen is I'd have two rotations and they always are my worst rotations. Rotation four and rotation, yeah, rotation four and rotation three. When my setter's front row, I have my weaker middle option with my setter. So that my so, so now the defense, as a, as a blocker now, they know that, well, that's their M2, it's their weaker middle, they're probably gonna go left side and they can load up on the left side. And then I'm forced to either set a C ball or make sure my, or my pipe has to be going well. And then there you have it. So just, I know, I know it's very, it's very like tactical here, what I'm describing. And I know it's, if you're driving, it's, it's tough to visualize this. So you may, you may have to come back to this and write it down. But when you're doing your rotation, I want you to think about where you're putting your middle and your left side, your best middle and your best left side. Make sure they're beside the setter because you want that load when the setter's front row, you want to make sure that that middle is your best middle because that middle is going to be getting set. Right, the only there's only two front court options: a middle and a and a left side. And then if you're running a pipe and C ball, great. But obviously, you want that you want your best middle to be able to take that load and still be able to score. Okay. All right. So let's do a quick recap. All right. And this is this is part two. So I didn't talk about um in, in part one. I never talked about where to put your middle and left side. I'd make sure they're beside the setter and having your best left side and best middle beside the setter and why that's advantageous. And I, I explain why now. Okay. So to recap, we talked about starting rotations. Okay. Where to put your players. Okay. We talked about um, where you where where you want to make sure you're maximizing your setter. So like rotation six, rotation five, rotation four, we talked about it to go back and listen to that because those are the weaker, more rotations. We talked about the fact that you you do not want to have um, like starting from left to right, left side, middle setter, because if you have left side, middle setter, then you know um, there's going to be at least one rotation, which is rotation six, where you don't have a front court left side swing. And that's, and that's a problem. And you ha also, you have two rotations where your right side is swinging on the left side twice and your left side swinging on the right side twice. And you don't want that. Like, what's the point of having a left side and a right side if they're not swinging in their positions? So we want to avoid that. And then we finished off by talking about the fact that you want to have a left side and a middle beside your setter. And you want them to be your best left side and your best middle beside the setter. Okay, that's important. It's very, very important you have that. Okay. So when you're going through your rotations now, I hope you're you're taking all this in. It's a lot of information. I get it. But I hope you're taking all this in. You know that this is how you you can structure rotations very strategically so that you can maximize offensive opportunities. And if you if you haven't been in the game a long time, this isn't something I, I get that you think about because you're focused on the technical aspect. You're focused on teaching your players how to pass and, and set and swing and all these great things. And rotation, you just follow, hey, okay, 5-1, I'm going to do a 5-1 and call it a day. But now you got to start thinking about how you can be strategic about your rotation and how you maximize M1s and M2s and, you know, what, what that looks like, okay? I think, um, I think that's pretty much it in terms of what I want to talk about with rotation. Uh, if you have any questions, let me know. Uh, DVA members, you guys have entire live trainings on this where I draw it out for you and I show you how to not only maximize your rotations, but how to maximize your passers being able to now attack. And when the when the ball goes up to the setter, how you maximize four attackers. So I, I, I draw it out to show you. So make sure that you guys go watch that training. It's in the coach's blueprint. 
And if you are a coach that's not part of DVA, that would like access to this training, in addition to a ton of other trainings that I have in DVA, go to digitalvolleyballacademy.com, links in the show notes, and sign up. Um, there's a form there you can fill out, and I will reach out to you and let you know how you can get in DVA, okay? Because doors are right now closed to the public at the time of this recording. All right, a little bit of a shorter one here. Just wanted to make that, just wanted to get this episode out because I, th- I thought that it was valuable and I thought that now you now thinking about rotation, hopefully this helps set you up. Because you know what? Listen, this could be make or break for some of you coaches. Like, honestly, this could be like, this could be something that would solve a big problem for you. And it's funny, like, we just played in a game a couple of weeks ago where a team was struggling to get out of a rotation where the setter was front row. And the reason they were struggling is because they had their weaker middle as that M, uh, M2 or M1 option, however you want to call it. And because that was their weaker middle, I knew they weren't going to go to them. And we loaded up on the left side, and they could not get out of this rotation. And we won the game. And you don't want to be in, a, you don't want to be in that situation. And coaches, you may have been in the situation where your setter's front row and the other team goes on a run because you have your weaker middle there. Because they're not drawing that much attention in, and then all of a sudden, teams load up on the left side. They know where it's going, and it's an easy read. So now, hopefully, this helps solve your problem. Okay, all right. I talked for left. I talked for enough. All right, that's it for me. I'll see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.